If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome to The Splash by Next Wave, a deep dive into the changing state of cinema in the 21st century. The Splash is a podcast addressing the future of the film industry. Are we on our way to a future where cinema no longer exists? Or can we imagine our way to a brighter future where it will not only survive, but thrive? Tune in for insightful discussions with professionals from all parts of the industry who will share their perspectives and thoughts on what is to come. The Splash is hosted by NextWave, a creative incubator based in Berlin and focused on radically rethinking the exploitation chain. For this week's episode, we take you back to January, when we had the chance to talk with filmmakers Hannah Jayanti and Alexander Porter at International Film Festival Rotterdam, where they premiered in the Bright Future competition their speculative documentary, Truth or Consequences. The film is a lyrical meditation on progress, history, and how we navigate a sense of loss within ourselves and within a changing world. This week, the talk is conducted by Next Wave's Lisa Plumeyer and Emma Caviazzo. We're very happy to have with us today Hannah Gianti and Alexander Porter, who are here in Rotterdam with the work Truth or Consequences for its world premiere in the Bright Future competition. So Hannah is the director and also involved with the production, did all the filming, editing and co-wrote with Alexander, who also did the animation. So welcome guys and welcome. thank you very much for speaking with us. How is your experience of the festival so far? The experience has been really great. We finished the film last week, so we finished it right before we came to the festival. We got here and then we had the screening on Saturday. I think it's Monday now and we're just starting to get our bearings and kind of understand what's outside of our laser focus on, on the film. In some ways, I would say our festival is starting. <laughs> uh, but our premiere was, it was great. Uh, it was sold out. It is quite an unusual film. And I think people have, you would have to ask them, but my experience is that people have, they have their own journey in the film. So yeah, I, and I, I would say that I think that One thing that's been really wonderful about Rotterdam is that it feels like a, a festival that gives people the space to experience unusual works in their own way. So both of you created a new way of storytelling in documentary, more or less, by introducing this speculative element to it. And it feels like a little bit like you're disrupting the genre, because I think the genre is always like connected to this time framing, which comes maybe from the expectation of something that's true. So it must have had happened already. Yeah, and I'm interested in on, on your approach on this, like on this way of, of telling a non-fictional work. That's a really wonderfully phrased question. And I think that you're right that documentary is always considered as something that has happened and something that has deep root in the objective present or past. So the what we're calling this film a speculative documentary, and what we mean by that is that there are parts of it that are located not necessarily in the present. 
And we think about it as, as there are parts that are very subtly located in a near future. And in the film, this is not made literal. It's evocatively done, and I hope metaphorically done, and a lot of it is done through the animations. But the, at times, the filmmaker, and hopefully through that, the audience is located in a near future when commercial space travel has begun and people have started to leave Earth. And the heart of the film very much takes place on the ground, on Earth, with the people in this town. The people who are navigating a sense of belonging and a sense of engaging with a changing world and engaging with a changing sense of who they are and what they choose to do with their own pasts. So the, the speculative premise, I think it came out of quite a few things. The, the sort of the origin, I'm always quite suspicious of origin stories because they're always a bit mythologizing. But ours was that, so I worked on this film for a very long time on my own and I was shooting the film for a while, and I didn't really show anybody it. And then I went to a, a rough cut retreat like a year and a half ago, and I showed a rough cut of it for the first time. I found it very um, anxiety-making. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched it, and I had... I, I knew... I always knew... I didn't know exactly what I was going to make with this film, but I always knew that I didn't want to make... I always knew that there was something about traditional filmmaking, traditional documentary filmmaking, that I found really problematic and I just didn't identify with. And my simplest experience was that I would watch it and I would have the experience that it had nothing to do with the texture of my life. That it was often built in this way where there are these like crystalline moments. So it was like, here's a thing that happened and then it led to this. You know, like very causal, very one-to-one. And then these arcs where it's like, we've made an analytical sense of somebody's life and these things tie together in this way. And I just looked at my life and I was like, my life is really messy and I don't necessarily know why one thing happens and then another thing happens. And, and, and I was like, why aren't films portraying this? You know? and, and so just on a very personal level, I had an experience of not feeling seen in most films that I saw. And I also think in doc- documentaries are interesting because they claim to be about the real world, but they're almost always about exceptionalism. So they're like in fiction films, we'll watch fiction films, and it will be fine to spend time with a, with a with a quiet family having these very discreet, subtle moments. But in documentaries, very often it's distilled to these like epic moments and people that are exceptional. And there's something I found so alienating and so isolating about that. And so I, my intention was to set out and make a film that did a different thing. So when I went to this rough cut retreat, I watched the film and I saw that I had made a much more conventional film than I hoped to. I actually saw that I had, even against, against my best intentions, I had still ended up making a film that tried to follow a three-act structure, that tried to follow conventional trajectories. And I was, I mean, I was really deeply humbled and by the experience and I was just like wow even when you set out to do something unconventional it's like the convention lives inside you and then you do the thing anyway Uh, and I felt really really constrained and so Alexander and I had many conversations afterwards and along with other other advisors on the film where we thought well well the reason that the film has gone a little more conventional was because we have we have sort of gone into a classic documentary trope 
where there's a group of people and there's some outside influence that has all this power to affect these people. And if you, I, I'm sorry, but if you look at documentaries, that is what they're all, sorry, it's a terrible thing to say. But if you look at documentaries, a lot of them follow this. A group of people, some outside influence that may or may not affect them, and then the film explores how these people will be affected by that thing. And my experience of that is that ultimately, the power structure lies with that thing because their lives are narratively created in response to that thing. And so, so they are not actually, they're still just utterly defined by the circumstances that they're in. And so we were like, what if we treated the spaceport as though it had already happened? What if we just took out the narrative device that is about what if these things happen? How would it affect them? And what ended up happening is, is that it end, the, the questions just radically changed. Instead of how will these people be affected by the spaceport and will the town have economic development based on this, the questions became, what do these people give a shit about? What are, who are they saying that they are? How are they building meaning into their own lives? And a whole new space of, of actually listening came about. And that, that is the reason to have the speculative premise. It's to create that space of listening that was created for us in making it. And the dream for the film is that it creates that space of listening for other people who, who watch it. There's something about having, when you watch a film that's in this kind of conventional structure, uh, what we found is that there's, there's so many patterns that, that as, a, as an audience you, you start with. You actually have, you have anticipation of what the film is, an anticipation of, of who people are in a rural town in America. And then you actually watch for whether the film is going to fit those patterns or not. And we found, I found that in my own experience of watching these early versions of the film. And it was inconsistent with the commitment that we had for the project, which is that it would be about truly listening to people. And so there's something liberating about creating a, a framework that is surreal in some sense or fantastical because you're, when you disorient up the audience or situate them somewhere else at the beginning, they're forced to discover at every moment where they are and what's happening. And in doing so, they, they actually start to listen to the people themselves and their stories and their imaginations. And so one of the approaches we took was creating these animations, which are constructed in a way that's very unusual from the perspective of conventional films. And we used a technique called photogrammetry, which allowed us to reconstruct these worlds in three dimensions using techniques that are usually used in archaeology or in kind of forensics. And we processed the footage in a way that allowed us to kind of rebuild these, these worlds. And then as almost virtual filmmakers, we were then able to walk through them in a system that we created. And there's something about this where we also had got to have that experience of kind of revisiting and seeing things differently. And it plays this recurring role in the film where it just keeps reminding you over and over again that this is, well, you might think you know what the world's about, what people are about, who these people are by virtue of them being, being sort of poor by conventional standards, maybe out in the desert and, and in the shadow of, of just immense technological progress in the context of this spaceport, you start to see them as visionary people, people who are deeply engaged with their own future, deeply engaged with the planet and the future of the planet. And you wouldn't get that, I think, if you see it as a conventional film. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting, and it's very interesting to hear you speak so much about the audience and how you thought about them at an early stage in the filmmaking process. So I'll come back to that later. Mm -hmm. I firstly like to come back to the animation part. Mm. I mean, you talked to already about it, but 
what I find super interesting, like you're the co-creator of Dev Kit, and like a lot of people use it. Like it's amazingly received, so a lot of people use it. I I've seen uh, works that were using Dev Kit, and but I'm I'm used to see it on like VR Googles. Like so, what was your intention to bring it to a 2D screen, and how is your experience with this like so far? Because I think it's. I mean, you, you said something about it already, but I think it's like a very unique and interesting approach. And would you say there's like a future and this connection between the normally perceived as very opposite worlds of VR storytelling with Googles and, and the screen? It's a wonderful question. I hope so. So yeah, I, I'm the co-founder of a company called Scatter, and we are a, a creative company and we make software. And so we make our own often virtual or kind of immersive experiences and, and films and projects. We also make creative tools. And the reason we do that is that we have a kind of conviction about a particular discipline or genre that we're kind of trying to create or, or foster or enable that we call volumetric filmmaking. The idea that all stories, whether it's in, in the world of film or in the world of immersive media, should should start from the world itself, should start from the details and the, and the, the surfaces and the material of our actual world. And we use techniques like 3D scanning and these techniques that are often from other environments or other disciplines, whether it's robotics or, again, like archaeology, to make sure that when we create stories, we start with the material itself. And this is important in the world of, of virtual reality and also in, in visual effects, where often you start from kind of nothing, just an empty scene, and a, and a kind of 3D artist just sort of builds something. But there's something fundamentally missed about that because you don't Again, you don't start with our experience. You don't start with the wealth of our actual world. And so we have this discipline that we're kind of constructing called um, volumetric filmmaking. And we have created a tool called Depth Kit, which is this it kind of almost allows you to create sort of holograms, volumetric captures of people. But part of that larger discipline includes something with techniques like photogrammetry. And so for us, we're actually kind of agnostic. Like the, the point for us is, is about leveraging where this discipline can go. And so it's kind of incidental and special that, that virtual reality exists. But for us, a film is just as natural, right? It's about kind of creating human and expressive stories in the landscape of three dimensions and, and these new emerging tools like game engines. And so for, uh, for me personally, it's a treat to be able to take these ideas and apply them to a discipline that's kind of one of the most impactful and magnificent disciplines of our time right now, which is, is films. And so it's a, it's a bit of an inversion where oftentimes people use kind of desktop tools to create a virtual 3D, a kind of virtual reality experience. And so they're on a screen and then they make something for immersion and virtual reality. We kind of went the other direction. So all of our tools were virtual reality tools. And so we're literally physically walking through these spaces and, and filming using a, wearing a VR headset. Uh, but then the end result is something that ends up as a film. And so for me, it's sort of incidental, and it's really a privilege. And then another aspect of it is, so Hannah and I are partners. We're, we're partners, like romantic partners. We live together uh, and creative partners. And so it's a, it was a special privilege for me to be able to to use the way that I work and kind of in collaboration with my partner. And there's a wonderful fusion there that is the opportunity of a lifetime. Can I add something about from about your perspective and then you can tell me if it's I would love that okay I think an, another thing that I've watched is that sometimes when when you talk to me about depth kit or about your experience making things you talk about this idea that you worked in 
in photography for a while and then found that deeply constraining. And there's been something about working in this way, in this like very exploratory, unchartered way that is, a, is again about this kind of compulsion to go out and capture. I mean, like if I, when Alexander and I go on a hike together, it's like totally impossible to get to the top of the mountain because he's like scanning everything. He just takes forever. He's just scanning all the trees and, and, and it's like a, you know, it's, it's like somebody who's just, that is the mode of engagement with the world. And so I think part of it has been that you have discovered your self-expression through this practice. And there's, I, I would say for me, that's, that is like a linking part of this film is that I would say you I don't know what you think, but I would say that both of us have discovered a way of articulating and a way of really presenting the things that we do anyway in a, in a, in, in a form that is deeply connected to the world. And that's been really special. I agree. Cool. <laughs> Obviously, you spoke a lot about the audience uh, and having them in mind when creating the film. So as I understand, you're handling the rights yourselves completely. And could you talk first about getting the film into this festival and being part of the selection and what that's been like? Yeah. I don't know what other people's experiences are like bringing films out into the world, but I find it quite complicated. And I have been working on this film for a long time. And because I directed it, shot it, and edited it, it's like uh, when I when I look at it, I'm like, wow, that is like the, the inside of my mind shown on the screen uh, and it, it feels very vulnerable it feels kind of exposing and it also like I, I was watching it on Saturday and I was thinking wow if you weren't in my brain I don't actually know what your experience would be like of connecting all these different pieces and there's some there's something kind of amazing about that I think part of it is a natural process of moving something that you've created into a space where it exists and doesn't necessarily have a relationship to you. You know, like now people have their own relationship to it. So that's like a, a wild experience. And I would say especially, I, again, I don't know how other people work, but during the process of making this film, I, I was able to see that my way of working seemed to look a little bit more like an art practice than a more traditional filmmaking practice. So it's a lot. It's a lot about like an intuitive, deep diving into into my, you know, when I edit, I go into this sort of very strange space, and I'm not working very analytically. And a lot of it is about when the expression feels formed, and not always about whether the communication is direct. So, I would say that's something that I'm navigating. And then in terms of in terms of sort of distribution and getting it out there, sometimes I feel like there are, there are two types of films. Anytime anybody says there are two types of something, it's like not true. <laughs> um, but there are films that are, their intention is to be like deeply guided so that everybody cries at the cry time. Everybody feels this at the, this time. Everybody feels this at the, this time. And they're often incredibly, they work really well. And there's often the metric of how a film works is if people click in at the same moment and they have the same experience at the same moment. And then there are films that are very open. And that doesn't necessarily mean like loose and experimental, but what it means is, is that people might click in at different times. People might have experiences at different times. 
And so I believe that the film is much more one of those. And as a filmmaker, it's both an exhilarating and quite scary experience because there is a part of the film that is completely dependent on the other person's experience of the film and you are not actually a part of that. So in terms of the distribution land, films like that are, can be complicated. They're a little bit hard to, harder to express, they're a little bit harder to predict, and they're a little bit harder to build a market around. And so that's one of the things we're thinking of we're thinking about is what would what would it look like for a film like this and what would it look like for a film that is built on these convictions of process, collaboration, listening, openness. How does that translate into a market world that is built on different pr principles? Not not necessarily worse ones, but just different ones. And what would it look like if the same type of creative practice that was involved with working on the form of the film or working on the process of collaboration was brought to brought to that and what would that look like so that's what I'm thinking about a bit does that answer your question in any form absolutely yeah and in uh, many forms can I say that <laughs> can I can I add to this a little absolutely. bit the I think the creation of this project was in a way it's kind of a, a political act like we made, made a choice to make a really open and extraordinary and kind of an inclusive and experimental film and uh, that choice manifested at literally every layer and it took us into really interesting territory and it our view is that it's it's the only way to make something that is is kind of truly transcendent or really expressive to to give room to a process. And so, for us, that manifested. We you know for the animations, for example, we we created this whole tool set, something that has never existed before, really, in order to kind of discover an aesthetic and discover a language for the animations. And that's kind of happening in parallel with the evolution of the, narr the kind of narrative of the film. And then. We, in having conversations about the film and kind of having this philosophy emerging for ourselves, we started to have these conversations with people in the town, and we started to learn that, in a way, they're craving something similar to what we're craving, right? It's the ability to express yourself uh, without being constrained, pre-constrained, or having to kind of deal with the boundaries of a system and find a way to situate yourself inside of that. And so through making the film, we created a festival, well, kind of like a film... We, a film festival, an experiences festival. We showed virtual reality work. We showed performances of all kinds from around the town. Can I interrupt for a second? Sure. I think it's really important that, that we didn't create it. True. We worked in collaboration with the town mm -hmm. um, to help bring something into existence, but we didn't create it. Yeah, that's accurate. So in having these conversations, it emerged that this was sort of a, a shared kind of need, and we, we worked with them, and they really did created this extraordinary festival. And literally thousands of people from around the area came. There was this kind of magnificent Saturday evening kind of event where there were like tens of installations and art kind of presentations of all kinds, all in town. And it was very generative um, and incredibly liberating for them and also for us. And so we brought a lot of kind of our community of, of storytellers and, and filmmakers, and virtual reality creators who are kind of seeking a, a, a place to, to show their work. For us, it, every, the whole thing was kind of a political act about a, creating a space for projects like this and expression like this. And so that was a choice we made. Can I add one other thing? Sure. This is this is it's funny. I, I think I think about this a lot, but I find it a little bit cheesy to express. <laughs> but we think about this one of the we think about this distinction a lot about what we call attachment versus commitment. And we really, really try to work from a place of commitment. 
and this is part of why the process is so important. And so really thinking, what are the commitments of the project? Are the commitments listening? You know, the commitments as I see them, and they change at times, but is around listening, it's around collaborating, it's around community, and really trying to make our choices based on those commitments. And it can be hard to hold on to, right? Because when I think about attachment, I think about if the film gets into this or that festival, or if the film gets sold, or if the film gets this. And often when I think about those things, I get quite panicked. You know, like if I have a negative emotional experience and a concern. And I always remember that's it's so result-based. It's like this film should have this life in this way, and it should be seen in the world in this way. And if it isn't, that means something. And personally, I just, it's an awful feeling when I start to think like that. And this is part of why I find it complicated to navigate in the market, because it feels like that's a lot of the conversation. Not all. There are incredibly soulful people that are trying to have different conversations. But it can be easier to have that conversation than the other one. And so we will literally, you know, at the end of a day, we'll be like, what are the commitments of the project? And when we look out at our distribution or our audience or the people that we're collaborating with, what would it look like to be acting from that commitment? And maybe there are spaces in the world where where those commitments aren't that alive in certain areas. And so then maybe we should work on creating this festival, you know, co-creating this festival where that can be a place where that happens or making sure that every single one of our engagements with people are dignified and human and that that's actually the commitment of the of the film. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's <laughs> a very, very interesting answer, and it's an interesting sort of very holistic and integrated approach to the distribution where that becomes part of this whole process that you're speaking about. And taking what you said about these two different types of films, I suppose festivals are an arena for this type of film where you know, discussions can be started and discussions can be had directly with the audience. Do you think you will continue to sort of send it through a, a traditional festival route? And do you think maybe you'll make it available online or this kind of thing in the future? Or Yeah, I think we're working that out mm. now. Mm. And I think, yeah, again, I think it's one of the, it's funny, I, I, just to go back to the, the last thing I was saying I think that one thing we've really learned is is that there or one thing that we're developing is a mechanism to make those choices from and the the mechanism has to do with not like do I like online things or like do I want to get to that festival you know but around what would it look like for the way that this film lives in the world to be the same as every other parts of the process what would it look like for it also to be the expression of the project? And I think we're at, we're like like as you talk to us, we're building that. Like that's like part of the project of the next couple of days. And it's I, I would also add it's not it's not easy. It's very emotionally complicated for me. I have this thing about attachment and commitment. It's like so easy for me to say, right? And it sounds, you know, oh, fantastic. You know, that sounds fantastic. But it's it's really complicated. Like I get really attached to certain things, and then I have to you know, do the sort of inner mechanisms to remember what the hell we're doing, you know, and to try to stay true to that. And every day I get knocked off, you know, and every day I have to come back. And so, but then I think, well, that must be part of it too. That must be part of the, 
process. One of the there's a there's a theme with this project, which in, in this holism you're describing, it means that the the entire experience of having made this film is totally extraordinary, and it's like it feels it feels like the, the moments that we spent in town, the moments that we spent in the context of this of this festival, they all feel of they're part of the world of the film. It's truly part of the world. Like the film ex has expanded well beyond the boundaries of the screen. And so that we, we have this incredible experience of living it, right? And so I think that is a theme that for us want, is, needs to come into the way that we actually share the piece. So for example, we worked with this extraordinary uh, guitarist, Bill Frizzell, who is just a, a magnificent improviser. And so we, in, in creating the film, for example, we had him improvise two scenes from the film. And those moments are just magnificent. And so I think we're going to ask ourselves, how can we share that experience with audiences, right? So we got to have this experience of seeing these mag these extraordinary like landscape shots of these vignettes from the film played to by this like world class, you know, Grammy winning extraordinary guitarist. We'd love to find ways to share that. Or we in creating the tools for this film, we basically made a virtual reality experience. And so we got to have this unique experience of being in these virtual worlds and flying around and creating these these scenes. So we're gonna ask ourselves how can that be part of the way that the film lives. Or and so it's, the theme becomes about experience, right? Yeah. Or how can people, you know, my experience with this film was just so, you know, so much about discovering what I make. You know, and like one of the things that was so gratifying about the festival and Truth or Consequences was is that people were making things and they were challenging themselves and there were a bunch of people that came that were like, I don't make things. And now one of them is making, like one of the co-creators of the festival with us, Melissa, she's planning a whole installation for next festival and it's those kinds of things that are like that's the project you know great well thank you so much and I thank think you that's very much. Uh, half an hour of your time so. <laughs> thank, thank you both. you thank you for asking such really great questions yeah and thank also you for answering so great <laughs> yeah but I'd, I'd also like to say that to create a space where people can speak honestly is an art and I feel like you guys created that so thank you thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new episode you can also check out our website, nextwavesplash.com, to find out more about us and about our guests each week. The Splash is produced and hosted by Anna Huff, Emma Caviezel, Lorna Buzel, Shapa Das, Lisa Plumeyer, Magna Rodko, and myself, Lydia D'Amato. Keral Pons and Max Minkoff manage our website and social medias. Sound editing and mixing by Anna Huff and Moritz Geiser. Music by Apelis. See you next week. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh,